Welcome to Portland Conversations. I am Jason Allen, and today we continue the conversation about the upcoming Portland elections. Today we are with County Commissioner, Multnomah County Commissioner, Position 3, Jessica Vega Peterson. I got the Peterson right. Give me five brownie <laughs> points. Jessica, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jason? I am well. Are you and yours uh, staying safe? We are. We're staying safe at home here, all four of us. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm excited to talk about uh, issues and policies at the county level. Sounds great. Excellent. All right, let's talk about um, let's talk about leadership for a moment, uh, especially through trying times like this uh, in the middle of the COVID crisis, and then when we plan to come out of the COVID crisis. Uh, explain to me how. Um, how the county commission can lead the way to kind of make things easier and smoother for, for, you know, uh, Jack and Jill Portland resident. Yeah. Um, I think leadership is such, um, such a crucial concept that people are thinking about right now um, because we've had some really blatant examples of incredibly good leadership in the world that we've seen and like really <laughs> awful leadership in the world that we're seeing right now. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, you know, in, in my opinion, I think at the, at the federal level, we're not having the leadership that we need of addressing this in the right way and addressing in a way that makes people feel confident that we're going to be able to get through this and get through this together as a country. Um, so I think that makes it even more important that, at the state level and at the local level, we're doing everything we possibly can to get people through um, this crisis um, together and making sure that we're taking care of people, especially those people who are the most vulnerable, who um, are being impacted the most on this as best we can. And, you know, for those of us on the Multnomah County Commission, you know, we have a role as elected leaders we're also the local public health authority. So we have the public health um, role as well. So we're definitely um, been really grateful for the amazing leadership and the, and the um, really smart people that we have working in our public health department. Um, and the chair, Deborah Kafori, has been doing an amazing job helping lead this work um, at the county too. Um, and I know that it's been very important that, you know, as the most populated county in the state, we're making sure that any steps forward that we take are done um, with um, like sound footing in the science and, uh, and the health policy as we move through this. And we're doing it in concert with what's happening at the state level um, as well to make sure that we can, we can go forward together in the way. Um, you know, I think that where we are right now, We've been looking, we, I hear from people every single day about how this is impacting their life. I mean, you know, we're all, we're all experiencing it, right? I mean, there's the four of us here during the day. My kids aren't at school. My husband and I aren't at work. Um, we're here together, just like so many other people. 
Um, but but I hear even more from folks who are worried because they're a small business owner and they're a child care center and they don't know if they can open after this. They don't know if they're going to be able to stick through this. We hear it from people who are afraid of um, what's going to happen when their rent comes due. So, yeah. uh, And we hear from people who are really concerned about getting sick and being impacted by this. So, um, you know, I think the leadership, we have to make sure that we are uh, reaching out to people, we're there for people, but they have questions, and that we are, um, and that we're sharing information as best we can as we go through this. Yeah, and and that that really leads me into the second question: is uh, this leadership and how we handle a uh, a real more equitable recovery uh, to make sure it's not you know just the people at the very top you know that they're going to do okay, uh, but uh, the paycheck paycheck to paycheck. Uh, average, you know, everyday, everyday uh, family that uh, that are finding it. I mean, just almost unmanageable at the, at the moment, and especially with no leadership at the national level, uh, looking towards the municipal and the county level and state level to really kind of guide um, at at the uh, Multnomah County level. Uh, how is the commission, I mean, I, I know this is a, a kind of a daunting thing uh, to ask, but how is the commission, uh, commissioners going to, uh, help take the lead in, in steering, at least at the county level, uh, building back up? Yeah. Um, no, that's a really good question. I think that's one that we're all thinking about really, um, really thoroughly. So, you know, we the county is responsible for actually delivering a plan to the governor and to the state about what our plan of opening is. So those are like active conversations that are happening about, you know, how um, how are we going to be ready? Are we going to be hitting all of the different, um, you know, basically outlined requirements that the governor's put forward in terms of testing, in terms of um, contract contact tracing, PPE preparation, all of those things. Um, and then what's that going to look like every day for, for us as we start going out and, um, you know, making sure we have a safe distancing and people have are wearing masks and things like that, right? So we're thinking about that and uh, we want to make sure that, um, especially for people who are having to get out and, and get to work, um, that that we've got, we're, we're taking the right steps to get um, things ready. Yeah. Um, especially for the recovery, because uh, uh, to me, I get, I get this feeling that this is going to be a rolling uh, thing. I think people think that when we start to reopen stuff back up, hey, everything's best, you know, everything's better now. Let's go back to, you know, square one. We're fine. Uh, but I keep hearing uh, uh, the virologists talking about, well, you know, next fall, next winter, we're going to have a second spike thing. You know, th- things are not all right, you know. In, in in Neverland, you know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I imagine at the at the county level, the commissioners. I mean, you guys got to forethought and and plan ahead through. You know, uh, how how do we how uh, how do you tackle that? Yeah, you know, I mean, the county our our most critical work that we do is really the safety net services for the most vulnerable people in in Multnomah County, right? So that's everything from um, people who are unhoused to our seniors, to our our families and children, um, to um, people with disabilities and people, you know, in jail and in our um, criminal justice system, right? So we're thinking ahead of, of trying to figure out how are we going to be responsive and how are we going to be able to provide the resources that people are going to need yeah. um, so much coming out of this because 
all of the things, all of the inequities, all of the disparities that existed in society and have existed in society for so long have been like just cracked open so wide yeah. because of this. And we're seeing this in who's um, being impacted with COVID-19. Um, you know, um, it's people of color. It's um, and, and you're seeing that across the nation in different communities here in Oregon. Um, we're seeing that with communities of color, with the Latinx population, for sure. Um, we, we see it in who's impacted economically and who is really the, impacted right now today. Um, people who are already struggling with rent and the high unaffordability um, mm -hmm. of housing here. And so, you know, this is work that we've been doing at the county. These are these are issues that we have been facing and we need to, um, you know, we're going to continue to charge ahead and really be um, thoughtful about making sure that we are taking care of the most vulnerable and we are centering people who are being impacted the most on this. Right, because I, I, I think one of the key issues as we uh, come back from this is, uh, as you said, it, it has been blown wide open. I mean, the light spotlights are on the most inequalities. And, and to me, uh, one of the chief ones is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, not even to mention homelessness, right? Yeah. Uh, just, just the affordable housing. And I, I really think... Uh, with all the with the layoffs and just the economic turmoil that's going on, I, I think that is going to be something that a lot of people have put in the back of their minds that's going to be quickly shoved to the front because, you know, rent, rent doesn't stop, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's stopping a little bit, right? We did we did put uh, measures in place to have um, of, you know, no evictions for six months to make sure that people have some space. But that rent is going to be due eventually. And that is something that I know is weighing on people's mind. And it's something that we're all thinking about. Um, I think that's why, you know, at the local level, we also are pushing our federal delegation and we're pushing Congress to make sure that there's relief for people because um, it can't just be for giant corporations. It just can't be for, you know, people who have um, stock in the market. It has to be for everybody who's really experiencing um, you know, just really terrible impacts economically day in and day out. And they're struggling to make rent. They're struggling to make sure that they can pay their own bills. Right. And on top of that, um, as we climb out and families are maybe so far underwater that they either have to sell or whatever, um, how do we stop? Like, because I, I, I know in, in 2008 and nine when we had the uh, uh, last, you know, recession and, and, and crisis that, uh, when a lot of a lot of times when people sold, uh, the prices leap because you know developers would come in and the you know the sharks would come in you mm -hmm. know and and uh, gobble things up and then raise jack the prices up to you know um, almost unmanageable numbers. Uh, uh, how can the commission you know how has you as commissioners uh, address that to make sure things don't get out of hand? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what the county's authority, act, you know, is very specifically around that, but I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I mean, when we saw like coming out of the last housing crash, we yeah. saw like, you know, hedge funds and investment banks coming in, buying up properties, buying up apartments, buying up all these rental properties. So now that instead of having a landlord who, you know, maybe lives in the duplex next door or who is here in the, you know, a local person, right. you've got these like big investment, um, you know, um, trusts that are owning all this property. And now it's now the homes where people are living are treated like commodities. Right. And that doesn't, that's not a way to build local connection. It's not a way to really knit our society and our communities together. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that I think, um, you know, we have to be aware of and we have to, I think, encourage programs that, um, 
help people into home ownership, help people make those steps into either holding onto their homes or getting into their homes so that they have that security and we're keeping those bonds local. Yeah, I, I guess it, it all uh, stems back to the good leadership, right? Uh, being able to be help, be a voice to advocate uh, to keep people aware, you know, yeah. uh, of, of that. Um, along, I guess, hand in glove with uh, for, affordable housing is um, the homeless situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know that is... Uh, um, really one of your strong uh, passions and issues. Um, talk, uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, moving forward with that in mind uh, as we come out of this uh, crisis. Yeah, you know, I think that um, there's a couple of things there. I mean, the count, this has been the heart of the county's work that's been done over the past several years. Um, it's one of the ways that I think the county responded so quickly and um, strongly in, in the beginning of this crisis is to make sure that for the shelters that we're in charge of, that we weren't going to be having a hotspot of infections happening um, in the congregant settings of the shelters um, by opening up, you know, multiple new locations where we could have safe social distancing and um, and we could make sure that if there people who are exhibiting symptoms that they were moved out of that and were getting the, the help and the testing that they needed. Um, that was something that we did really quickly. I think as we move out of this, we have to we have to remember what you were saying before that we're not just going to like come out of this and be done. This is going to be a dance that we're going to take some steps forward. We may have to come back some steps as we see um, infection rates go up or we get another another round of this. And so we're going to have to keep these these structures in place. Um, and and all of that is in response to, to the coronavirus. But it also we are also still you know, working on the underlying issues um, that leave people to be houseless in the first place, um, which means, you know, supporting and building more permanent supportive housing, getting, making sure that the housing we um, built has, has access to wraparound services that people need so that, you know, issues that people have with behavioral health, mental health, addiction yeah. are being addressed, that they have connections to workforce training. All of these things um, that have been um, you know, that we've been working, we need to continue that work. And I will say that this May, you know, there is the opportunity for voters to support a measure that really is looking at making a long-term and permanent investment in addressing this issue through the Here Together, Here Together measure in the metro region. And so I, I'm, I'm supportive of that. I voted for that. And um really encourage people to do that. This is a this is a huge way that we're going to have resources locally to really um, put some dollars into programs that's going to address um, the issues that people are facing. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, l- let's move on to uh, climate change and green policy. All um, right. One of my favorite subjects. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, I've seen the last three or four years at the national level, all the rollbacks uh, of all the ground that we made through the previous eight years. Uh and I, I mean, that's got to affect. Uh, that's got to affect Multnomah County at, at at some level, right? Because I mean, national trickles down, and then you you almost got to fight your own fight to keep things progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, we and we absolutely have. I mean, um, we on the very day that Trump pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords, that is the day that my board passed. A resolution that says we will have 100% renewable energy in Multnomah County by the year 2050, right? So we were moving ahead at the local level, even as the Trump administration was moving backwards and really um, and really taking us backwards in terms of fighting climate change um, and going in the wrong direction for the country. So 
Um, but this is not, you know, the fact that we did that in Multnomah County is is wonderful and we'll keep doing that. But it's, you know, Oregon has been a leader for years in this kind of work. Um, prior to being on the Multnomah County Commission, I was in the state legislature. So I was in the Oregon House and I was the chair of the um, House Energy and Environment Committee. And while I was there, we passed two really um, wonderful bills around climate change. The first is the Clean Fuels Bill, which said that we have to have cleaner um, fuel mixes in, in Oregon. So if you're going to drive a um, car that uses gasoline, it's, we need to have cleaner um, gasoline in it. Yeah. And it set up a program that to help incent people who are using uh, electric vehicles or who are creating biofuels and those kinds of things. Um, and we also passed a bill in the 2016 session that said we will have no more coal in Oregon's energy mix um, by the year 2030. And we will double our renewables that we are going to have in our energy mix um, by 2050. And those are really two like really good uh, sticks in the ground saying that we're committed to addressing climate change. And um, and the governor has you know even moved that further with her recent executive order saying that we're going to um, continue to to make sure that we're going to put caps on carbon emissions here in Oregon. And that's, you know, and that's something that we can do in our state. And as we have states um, like California and Washington and East Coast states also doing the same thing, that's when we can make the real change um, because we're not going to see that at the national level, um, at least for the next little while. Right. One of the things uh, that I thought was actually a little ha-ha funny, but the peculiarly funny is d- during this horrible crisis, we've actually seen areas environmentally get better. And, and mm-hmm. so to me, when I when I see that, I was like, well, that's kind of proof that, you know, if we start cleaning up our ways and start, you know, yeah. a progressive policy, look what we can have. This is proof right here. And I, I'm just so afraid that people are going to just turn it over to reality TV and just kind of, you know. Not, uh, you know, not uh, really look at it. But. I know. I hope everybody's enjoying like being at home and having not so much to do, maybe um, like enjoying the really clear, beautiful skies that we've been seeing lately, like hearing more birds singing, like seeing more nature come out. Like these are things we can have this world. We can have this world all the time. We just have to make a commitment to changing a little bit how we get around, like maybe, um, you know, take transit more often or, you know, buy that electric vehicle that you've been thinking about and um and really you know i know a lot of people who have started gardening and not buying as much you know during this thing i think these are all things that we need to take with us i mean this is just one part of how we need to change our behavior um as a result of this and really can have some good things come out of this experience um you know i think the the climate and our behaviors around that are one of those things but i also you know you look more broadly at some of these social um really these like important social programs that have been so um, needed, um, you know, like paid sick time, for instance, Oregon yeah. was also a leader in doing that. But yeah. we've had so many people across this country who are worried about getting sick, not being able to take the time off, having to go in when they're sick. And and then this has been such a, you know, and it is a public health issue. It's a public health crisis when you have people who are worried about like missing their paycheck or missing yeah. Um, yeah. work. And then showing up and getting everybody else sick, um, you know, COVID has really underlined the, the danger of having those kinds of policies. And, and that's another thing where I think that this is a great opportunity for in this country to to really push strongly for things that policies that make sense and make us, all of us healthier and better off in the long run. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think one of the underlying things that's going to really come to the forefront, forefront in the next six months is mental health. 
mm-hmm. uh, as people are sequestered and out of you know humans are very social beings and you know when we're stuck in our you know places of residence all the time uh i you know the depression levels just must be through the roof you know and 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 i worry about uh uh, the marginalized communities and the people who are again are paycheck to paycheck, uh, not only uh, physically but really mentally. How how you know the strain? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's and we're seeing that at the county for sure, right? That was a, a huge um, concern going into this was how you know how people who are might already be experiencing some public, uh, I mean, some um, behavioral health issues are going to respond to this like highly stressed environment that we're all living in. But just everybody in general, even if you hadn't experienced that before, I mean, this is such a, a different way of doing things. And um, and like you said, we are social creatures, you know, you're, you're, some of us thrive on being around other people. And um, some of us having to stay home and think about like what's happening in this world and what, you know, the being worried maybe about people getting sick, that's a lot for people to take. So um, it's been really important for us to make sure that people know that there is help out there, that there are resources that people can access um, during these times, even though you're staying home. Um, there's uh, the 211 information line that the county has that people can always call to get connected to resources. The Multnomah County um, helpline, the crisis line has been open and is, um, is staffed. Um, so that people can reach out and contact that in as well. So the help is out there. Um, and I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's a really important issue. Yeah. Um, as we were talking about uh, the, you know, uh, green technologies and climate change, uh, it kind of leads me into uh, just infrastructure in general, uh, especially as it applies to public transit uh, and really upgrading that system and moving it forward in a more progressive way. Um uh, where, where's the commission and, and where do you come down on uh, on trying to uh, insert more of those green technologies and really moving uh, public transit in you know in a in a uh, more solid way? So I'm a huge fan of electric vehicles and and tra- transit. I actually just got an email from Hyundai saying it's your one year anniversary of you getting your car. And so last May I got an electric vehicle, something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. It's been mostly sitting in the garage these days, but at least you know when I do have to like run to the store or something, I feel good that I'm you know keeping those those skies nice and blue. Um, I sit, I happen to sit at a lot of transportation tables around the region talking about transportation issues. So, um, you know, and that, and so that ranges from how we're spending the dollars that we get from the federal government or from the state on local transportation projects, and also how we spend the transit dollars that we get from the state as well. And, you know, there's been this, this issue of how we can, um, you know, impact climate with our transportation and infrastructure decisions is a really important one. Um, but what I've always been, but what is really important to me is that as we have this conversation, we're not just, we're not only talking about climate, we're also talking about safety for people and yeah. equity for people in our transportation system. And the good thing is things like transit hit all three of those issues, right? I mean, as we're making investments in transit and making it more equitable of getting more lines um, in places where people um, need transit um, and need to rely on transit. Um, we're also getting more people out of their cars, more people um, into a way that's um, that's better for our environment and better for folks. Um, and the same thing with safety. I mean, I live out in East Portland where we have some of the worst um, highest death corridors in the state, or, you know, I probably have six of them right around the neighborhood that I live in. Um, and so making investments in sidewalks, in better bus stops, and all of these things um, is a really important equity issue and a really important safety issue. Um, 
one of the things that I think is going to be um, is a conversation that's happening right now in light of, of COVID is what does transit look like and what does transit use look like moving out of this, right? This is a situation by, by its nature, you have people come together and share space. So how can we um, and as people are um, start, you know, as we start opening things back up and as people start leaving their homes more to go to work or go out and about, like, how do we, how are we able to manage that um, growing demand with the safe measures that we're going to need to put in place? And so that's a really important conversation. Um, but I think all of us understand the importance of having a strong transit system because of the safety and climate impacts and the equity um, impacts of it. And um, and so this is a this is something that we need to figure out because we want to have a thriving transit system going forward and coming out of this. Oh, so much. Yes. Uh, one of the things I've been really thinking about lately, uh, especially as we move into, uh, you know, uh, from the primary into the general elections and we move forward is um, engaging young voters and, and the younger generation, Generation Z, you know. Uh, yeah. As a county commissioner, how do we get the young people engaged and say, listen, we need your voice now more than ever? You know, it's been the incredible thing that I've seen over the last few years is the way that the, um, the young people and younger generations are just saying, we don't care what's happening at the national level. We are we know what we need and we are going to use our voices and we are going to use our actions to fight and to get it. Um, and that's come up time and time again, whether it is on the climate conversation and, and, and pushing for, um, you know, protecting our future and making sure that. Um, that that we're making decisions, that we're putting policies into place that protect their future, right? I mean, I have two kids. They are Generation Z. Um, and, you know, my daughter's in middle school. She cares so passionately about issues these days and, and it lets me know it, you know, without, without um, any doubt. Um, I've seen that um, conversation or I've seen these conversations come up when it comes to things like um, gun safety and protecting their lives, you know, as they're dealing with this. And we see it in the transportation discussions. I was on a, um, a, an advisory group that was looking at putting a transportation investment measure on the ballot in November. And we had many, many young people show up every single month um, to tell us what they wanted and what kind of investments they wanted and how they wanted us to be thinking about their future and what we were doing to our planet. So um, I think that, um, I, I, I think it's like all of us could probably be turned off by what we're seeing at the national level, yeah. um, but I'm really inspired and have had, a, and I have a lot of faith in our, in our youth and how they're going to lead us forward. Excellent. Um, one of the last questions I'm going to ask is about uh, representing everybody. I mean, uh, the marginalized communities uh, who, you know, somehow slip through the cracks and the, the, who don't have that crucial voice. Um, at the county level, uh, how how does the uh, com- commissioners uh, really promote that and make sure that uh, the umbrella you know covers everybody? Yeah, um, you know I'm proud to say that the Multnomah County Commission we are an all woman. Um, majority woman of color board um, that we have. I think we're the first in the country um, to have that. And so uh, there's a lot of us that come from marginalized communities that come from underrepresented communities, and we are proud to um, to represent those communities. But all of us have the commitment that we are um, building new tables for people and making sure that people's voices get included in decisions that are made and policies that are made, um, that perspectives are being um, considered as we move forward. And again, as we're as we're looking at coming out of this situation and how communities are impacted by this virus, how communities who already have less 
um, economic resources, less generational wealth, right, are being um, more impacted by this, what can we put in place? What what can we build um, working with them to help um, create a different a different dynamic going forward so that we are fighting against those disparities, that we are, we are um, championing um, the issues that we need in terms of um, getting people the attention and the resources and the voice that they needed. And that's work that we need everybody to be a part of. Um, and that's a commitment we need everybody to make to make sure that we are able to fulfill the commitments to marginalized communities like that. Excellent. Hey, um, let's throw out all the uh, data that we need as far as URLs and uh, anything pertinent uh, that you would like to uh, uh, share with everybody. Okay, great. So um, I have a website, jessicavegapeterson.com. Easy, the Peterson is, well, you can see it on your screen how it's spelled. So just jessicavegapeterson.com. I'm also on Twitter at uh, at just, uh, JVP for Oregon. And that's also where you can find me on Facebook as well, at JVP for Oregon. Um, so that's that's how you can find me. Excellent. Jessica, Jessica Vega Peterson, position three. County, mm-hmm. Multnomah County Commissioner, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking about uh, all what's going on, all the issues and everything. It is It has been a delight. And uh, so, so thank you so much. And uh, I hope that you and yours remain safe. And uh, hopefully uh, an, another interview sometime down the road can be done in person. Yes, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.